Good evening. Uh, tonight's passage is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. That's page 995 in the Church Bible. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Well, thank you to Becca and to our musicians and to David and Sukan uh, for uh, leading us. Now, our focus tonight is chapter 2, verses 14 to, 20, uh, to 19, but I'd also like us to read chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, which is a kind of parallel passage. So let's read uh, 4, 1 to 5, with 2, 14 to 19 fresh in our minds. So 4, 1 to 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that as we get our heads around these very seminal and important passages that have given rise to many movements in the history of the church to focus on the ministry of the word, that you would speak to us with freshness, with clarity, and in light of what David has prayed for our own times and the islands on which we live. And we pray for your help, both to speak and to hear, and soft hearts to receive it all. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, these two passages that we read uh, bracket what is the central section of this letter, a central section from 2.14 to 4.6. The focus of that central section, and indeed the main point of the letter, is the ministry of the Word. So let me show you in passage 1, the key verse is 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling or ministering the Word of Truth. And in the second, a key verse would be 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, re, re, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, what do we mean by the ministry of the word? 
We mean preaching, what is happening right now. And the context for preaching is when the church is gathered. We gather together or are gathered together by God to listen to him. And that's what is happening when the word is preached. We might say, therefore, that preaching is the central expression of the ministry of the word. Central in terms of central in our gatherings and as a catalyst or an energizer to other ministries of the word. But it's not the only expression of the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word extends to other Bible teaching contexts. So, for example, like student lunch, like the women's conference coming up. It encompasses small groups where we study the Bible together. And indeed, it encompasses speaking the truth in love to one another. All of these are expressions of the ministry of the word. Now, stand back for a moment and consider the letter as a whole. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a leader of the church in Ephesus. We can think of Timothy as a full-time elder. The most important thing Paul has to say to Timothy about leadership in the local church. There are many things he says to him about leadership in the local church. But the most important thing he has to say concerns the ministry of the word. Why? Because that is how a local church is led. Through the ministry of the word. Let me draw on the wider teaching of the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the king and head of the church. Nobody contravenes that at least by profession. How does Jesus Christ lead his church? And that means, how does he lead every local church? Or it should mean that. How does Jesus lead his church? How can he lead his church when he's not here? Through the ministry of his word. I mean, that's such a fundamental thing. And that's why leaders in a local church, elders, are required to have the gift to teach. Along with godliness, it is the key qualification for leadership. How then do elders in a local church lead? Through the exercise of that gift. That is through the ministry of the word. Because that is how Jesus' leadership is manifested. Chalmers is not my church. Chalmers is not the eldest church. Chalmers is not our church. It is Jesus' church. One way that is profoundly true is that it will be his church when we are long gone. That is expressed on the ground by local church leaders who are engaged in the ministry of the word. When the ministry of the word is central to a local church, that church is in safe hands because it is in the hands of Jesus. And so it is no surprise that this central section of 2 Timothy, bracketed by 2.14-19 and 4.1-5, is all focused on the ministry of the Word. Now let's be clear who's in the spotlight here. Timothy is, as a full-time elder, in the spotlight. Uh, chapter 2, verse 15, do your best. That's addressed to Timothy. Or chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you, Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 5, as for you, Timothy. So Timothy is a full-time elder, is in the spotlight. So I am in the spotlight. And so are Jay and so are Rog. As are all the elders at Chammers. Who else? Well, look carefully at verse 14, at the start of uh, our passage, the first one we read, chapter 2, verse 14. Who else is in the spotlight? Paul says, remind them. Charge them. Who are the them? 
that them in verse 14 of chapter 2 are the people Timothy is to entrust word ministry to. So glance back to verse 2 of chapter 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful people, the word is not gender specific, who will be able to teach others also. Now this letter is about leadership in a local church, but in view is not just the present generation of leaders, but the next generation of leaders. In view are the present elders, but also the elders of the future. Younger men who are given word ministry responsibilities, and women who will exercise leadership under the authority of the elders in appropriate settings. So who is in the spotlight? Those of you who preach here. Those of you who lead small groups. Those with teaching responsibility for young people and children. And those of you training on the MAP and LIT programs, this is relevant to you. Something else that is similar across these two Bible passages, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 4, is that there is a form of the ministry of the Word that is approved of by God and a form that is not. So in 2.14 to 19, Timothy is encouraged to present himself to God, verse 15, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now that is expressed in chapter 2, verses 14 to 19, in contrast to those who quarrel about words, verse 14, and those who engage in a reverent babble, verse 16. People like Hymenaeus and Philetus, verse 17. It matters so much to the apostle that he names them. And in the second passage, the contrast is between chapter 4, verse 2, those who preach the word in season and out of season, reproving, rebuking, exhorting, etc., and verse 3, uh, people who tickle itching ears or who teach people what they want to hear. And so there is a form of the ministry of the word that is not commended. But there is a form of the ministry of the word that is. And we'll get to that. Let me just say it again. There's a right and a wrong. Does it matter? Does it really matter? Well, look at passage one. What does not rightly handling the word of truth lead to? The end of verse 14, it does no good, but only ruins the hearers, ruins the hearers. Verse 16, avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Pick a metaphor. Gangrene, rotting flesh. The end of verse 18, they are upsetting the faith of some. It matters. What is the one image that Paul could use to convey how serious it is? Their teaching spreads like gangrene, like rotting flesh. And in the second passage, the consequence of teaching people what they want to hear as opposed to the truth, verse 4 of chapter 4, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It really matters. It hugely matters. It is deadly serious. Let me summarize. There is a kind of ministry of the word that does no good, that ruins those who hear, that leads people into more ungodliness, that spreads like gangrene, that upsets the faith of some, that causes people to turn away from the truth. 
By contrast, what does the ministry of the word that is right, that is commended lead to? Well, look with me at chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. Just glance at it. Verse 10, Paul refers to his, that is Paul's teaching. That is a model, an example. Verse 14 of chapter 3, Paul exhorts Timothy to his example. And then in verses 15 and 16, Paul talks about the scriptures, which is what we are to preach and teach. They, the scriptures, and the preaching and teaching of them, is able to make you, this is the positively commended model of the ministry of the word, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Or 3.16, they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word which is what happens when we preach the Word, chapter 4, verse 2. Now, in summary, what does the ministry of the Word that is right, that is commended, lead to? It saves people. It changes people. So they are more and more godly. It equips people for every good work. What a contrast from the gangrene from the teaching that ruins, that promotes ungodliness, that shipwrecks people's faith, causing them to turn away from the truth. There cannot be anything more serious than this. And Paul, even now, is not content to leave it alone. He underscores the seriousness of this by charging those who are entrusted with a ministry of the Word to exercise that ministry in the eyes of God and in the eyes of Jesus Christ. So 2.14, Remind them of these things and charge them before God. Chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. The language of charging is used only three times in the letter. 2.14.4.1, the third reference is 4.16, when Paul alludes to the charge that God may bring against those who desert Paul. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me and all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. The language of charging conveys written down seriousness, but it's a lot more than that. In Scottish church uh, tradition, uh, certainly Presbyterian tradition, on the occasion of the ordination, which simply means the setting apart or the commissioning of a full-time elder or minister uh, in a church, someone to whom uh, overall responsibility might be given, charges are read. Let me read to you what was read to me on the 23rd of January 2009 when I was ordained as minister of St. Catherine's in the Church of Scotland. The charge was read by my fellow ministers. It reads, We now charge you in the face of God and in the name of the church to seek to be worthy of your calling. With a humble heart and with a humble spirit, work for the building up of the body of Christ. Together with the people to whom you are bound, that's the church, Share in the ministry of the reconciliation of all things in Christ Jesus. Care for the people in your charge. As you exercise your own gifts, encourage them to seek out and to use their gifts. And you pray continually for them, gratefully receiving the love and strength they need to give you. Seek to exhort and teach 
as one who is ultimately and always under the authority of the Word of God. Through sermon and sacrament, bring God's people to maturity of faith and send them out to live and serve the Lord strong in the Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Be a faithful servant and student of the Holy Scriptures, that what you read you may believe, what you believe you may teach, and what you teach you may practice in your life. Pray with perseverance, renew your mind, refresh your body, open your eyes to be filled with all the fullness of God. But notice this. It is not just full-time elders like me who are so charged. Yes, in 4.1, it is Timothy is the full-time elder who is charged. But look who is in view in 2.14. Look who is charged in 2.14. Those that Timothy is to entrust the ministry of the word to. Now, there's a retrospective dimension in verse 14, as well as talking to those emerging leaders about the ministry of the word through what follows. Timothy is told to remind them of these things, the things that he has just been talking about. That the life of the Christian leader is to be like a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer. The point of that is a life of hard work, of hardship, of suffering, of serving for the sake of the people of God. You see, what goes with faithful ministry of the word is suffering. It is so much easier to go with the flow. So much easier. So much easier. To say what people want to hear. The hard road is rightly handling the word of truth, preaching the word in season and out of season. And that leads to suffering. But there is grace in the realm of suffering. There is grace in the realm of rightly handling the words of God. There is power in the right preaching and teaching of the Word of God. There is empowerment for the preacher and teacher. And truth never changes. God's truth is truth, so preach it and teach it. Now listen, if you are frightened... fearful of the responsibility or afraid of what's ahead for young leaders. The emerging generation entrusted with the word of God. Listen, chapter 2 and verse 19, God's firm foundation stands. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. God has his hand on you. He will see you through. And he tells us that the only thing that will change lives is his word faithfully proclaimed. I wonder if you notice the reference to being ashamed in verse 15. Uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Being ashamed is a note that is sounded a number of times in the letter. Chapter 1, verse 8, Timothy, do not be ashamed, Paul says. 
Of himself, 1.12, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the truth of God's word and the suffering that is often the result of preaching it. In 1.16, Paul, referring to Onesiphorus, says, He was not ashamed. Do not be ashamed. I am not ashamed. He was not ashamed. What about you? What about me? Are we ashamed? Sometimes, yes. But then we remember, because the Word of God tells us, whose approval matters. And so we seek God's approval. We might be scarred and wounded by what people think of us. Who isn't? But we are comforted, helped, and healed because of what God thinks of us. So we lift up our heads and not ashamed. We don't shout out. We lift up our heads because we are not ashamed. We look ahead to the crown of righteousness that is at the end of the race. Now, in the time we have left, I want to do two things. We're 19 minutes and 15 seconds. I just want to tell you that at a lunch bar this week in Edinburgh University of Wentz week, I was under 15 minutes. There was such shock and palpable excitement in the room. So it can be done. It just takes you about 50 hours to prep. I want to do two things. Firstly, I want to take on two things, two important things. What exactly does it mean to correctly or rightly handle the word of truth? We've not said anything about that yet. And second, to say something about the renewal and future of the church. First, what exactly does it mean to correctly or rightly handle the word of truth? Verse 15 is a key verse. Do your best. That means depending on God's grace, bearing in mind that many times you'll mess up, <laughs> to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What does it mean to rightly handle the word of truth? Or we could paraphrase, what does it mean to rightly preach or teach the Bible? The first thing it means is hard work. Uh, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, we know it's hard work because we've just met a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. The soldier, from the beginning of the chapter, focused on the ministry of the word as the main thing. Or the athlete who puts in the hours of training before competing, the preacher or Bible teacher works hard before they preach and teach. And like the farmer out in all weathers, all seasons, day after day, week after week, so also the preacher or Bible teacher. And of course, you don't become a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer overnight. There's training, often years of training and mentoring. My colleagues rightly call me out. They have very subtle ways of doing it. Um, they rightly call me out when I'm not putting in the hours that the preaching preparation needs. And they don't call me out because it appears different on a Sunday. It's just over <clears throat> a season of time. We don't change. I know their coded language, you see. The hours in preparation and in prayer. Uh, so rightly handling the word of truth means hard work with the word, the Bible. What else does it mean? It means saying 
what the Bible says. That might sound awfully obvious. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 16 is a really important verse. Very important. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And that means that the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, our Bibles, are inspired by God, literally breathed out by Him. It means uh, the, the, the Bible um, uh, that we have in our hands or on our phones is His Word, literally, literally. And, and now we're to preach it and teach it and speak it. We're commissioned to the ministry of the Word, but it's the ministry of the Word, the Bible, and nothing else. Preach the Word means preach the Bible. Preach it. Teach all of it. The whole Bible. The whole Bible is God's inspired Word. The whole Bible. The whole Bible is able to make you wise for salvation, to save people, and the whole Bible is able to change you, to grow you in godliness and Christian maturity. So rightly handing the Word of truth means not adding or subtracting from the Bible. Don't change what it says. Say what it says. Let God speak God's voice is heard when the Bible is preached or taught. It's not complicated. It's just hard because of what happens. Now, does rightly handing the word of truth So it certainly means don't add to it or take away from it. Don't change the gospel. Don't say anything it doesn't say and say everything it does say. But does rightly handling the word of truth suggest that there is a right method of preaching or teaching the Bible? Let me rephrase that question. Is there a method of preaching or teaching the Bible that most evidently reflects the way God has inspired his word. And what I'm getting at there is, is there a method that God has given us, not one that we happen to dream up or one that is in our culture or one that is in vogue? Is there a method of preaching or teaching the Bible that cuts with how God has inspired his word? Now, the inspiration of God's word is not just in content, but the form. God has inspired his word in a way that makes sense. It's sensible. And the way he has chosen to do it is in individual books, 66 of them. So it's a fair conclusion that the best way to preach or teach the Bible is by preaching or teaching through Bible books. Starting at the beginning and getting to the end. Why? Because it puts God in the driving seat. It lets him set the agenda. It lets God speak. It's all very fundamental and and simple stuff. And it's the principle behind what we try to do. Working through Bible books. Sometimes called expository preaching or Bible teaching. That's not a great phrase. It just means pick and mix of methods. That just means... How would I rephrase expository Bible teaching or preaching? Saying what it says or bringing out what's there or, or just unpacking what's written. Simple ways to explain it. That's why we do what we do. Or try to anyway. 
And, and it's not born of a conviction that, that, that is based on results, or not born of a conviction that, that, that what you see is born of a conviction that is one of obedience to what God says as best as we are able, and trust that that is what, over the long haul, will change people. Let me say something second, and with this we close, about the renewal and future of the church. It's been my privilege to have a number of mentors in my life. One of them is Dick Lucas, still living in London, 99. Still living on his own, bless him. With the help of Marks and Spencer. Dick was the minister of St. Helens in the city of London and the founder of the Proclamation Trust and the Cornell Training Course. It's fascinating to read the embryonic days when people gathered together, just mates gathered together because they had discovered something wonderful about the Word of God. They had lived through dead and fossilized preaching at universities for years and years and years. And uh, Dick began to teach the Bible. He began to say what it says People call it now a recovery of expository Bible teaching. Along with David Jackman, Neil uh, here tonight was in the congregation where David was in Southampton and he was persuaded to come to a dry and dusty old barn in London and to start the Cornell training course. The fusion of an Anglican and independent church minister, the beginning of a, of a real renewal movement that spread over England, Scotland and around the world. Genuinely it did. The vision of the Proclamation Trust, which was the long-term ministry that flowed out of all of that, is to, and I quote, to serve the local church by promoting the work of biblical expository preaching in the UK and around the world. The Cornell Training Course, which uh, now runs in London, Glasgow, where our maps go, and Belfast, as well as uh, in a number of the countries around the world. Let me quote from the Cornhill London website. We are ambitious for the spread of the gospel and of expository Bible preaching and teaching in particular in the UK and beyond in partnership with the local church. We want to play our part in training and deploying some of the many thousands of competent Bible teachers that the world needs. Our conviction is that when the Bible is faithfully taught, God's voice is clearly heard, and therefore the proclaiming and hearing of the Bible is the main thing in ministry. Now, that's a great vision. It is exactly what the Bible says we're to do. It is what the Bible says is the key to the renewal and to the future of the church. It is a vision, though, that loses out to a whole manner of other things, like church planting or church revitalization. Now, don't mishear me. Of course they are important, but most important is equipping people for the ministry of the word in these churches, training leaders. We're called Chalmers Church, after Thomas Chalmers. That was a kind of accident. We gave to one person, Sheila's husband, Ed, to choose the name with a few hints. The one thing we did is we pulled the congregation. Do you want a trendy name, a geography name, or an historic name? 100% said historic. Surprising. Chalmers Church was the original building where we were. Thomas Chalmers' vision in the 19th century was twofold. Church extension, 636 churches built, paid for, filled. This is one of them. But he left that job 
to do what he felt was the more important job, which was training a whole generation of leaders for the churches, preachers and teachers of God's word. So the vision to equip people to teach and preach is a great vision. But in the UK, there's something wrong. Something has gone wrong. It is a vision that is being questioned and critiqued. And much of that critique is coming from its own constituency. Over the past year, I've tried to read as widely as I can on what is being said about the approach to preaching and Bible teaching we are here convictionally committed to. And the monotrust that supports all the people training here are convictionally committed to. And the kind of preaching and Bible teaching that is at the very heart of our leaders' growth groups. The kind of preaching and Bible teaching that it characterizes all that we do. I wanted to listen to the critique and not ignore it. Now, the heart of the critique, if I could sum it up, is that focusing on exposition or getting the text right has meant that we have lost sight of application or communication or transformation. In other words, that when the Bible says rightly handling the word of truth, it embraces all of these things. Exposition, application, communication, and transformation. What do these things mean? Let me just try and give you where I've got to as a summary of them. This is what the critique says. I'm not saying we should agree or not. This is just what's being said. Exposition is simply bringing out what's there in the text, the truth that is always relevant. It's always relevant. The truth is inspired. It's always relevant. Application. He's not making it relevant, because it is. Application is connecting with the people. You are preaching or teaching the Bible to. People you are in a pastoral shepherding relationship with in a local church, knowing what's going on in their lives and the pressures of the culture they are living in. It's not changing a thing. It's connecting it to their lives. Communication is getting the message across as clearly and as helpfully as possible. Resisting, I think, all the pressure that proclamation like I'm doing tonight is a complete and utter no-go area in our culture. Preaching is an ordinance of God. But that doesn't mean to say we don't need to give careful attention to doing it well. And transformation. Transformation is the purpose of the ministry of the word, the prayerful desire that every time you engage in the ministry of the word, people will be changed. That is not an arrogant expectation. It is not an expectation that the Holy Spirit will come and do something with a preacher or the Bible study group. Is that the Holy Spirit that is distinct but joined to the Word of God will be alive and active. And the people will be changed every time. And that means a preacher 
preaching from their heart to the hearts of people. Now, the heart in the Bible means the whole person. And when someone becomes a Christian, when I became a Christian, where you became a Christian, you have a new heart means that you have, uh, uh, how would I describe that? You've got a renewed mind, an awakened conscience, no longer seared. You've got a responsive will. You're obedient supernaturally to what God's Word says. And you have a new affection or a new love. You have a greater love for Jesus than your love of anything else. That's supernaturally what is going on in you with the indwelling Holy Spirit. You've got a renewed mind that's alive and well to the gospel. A conscience that's awake. A will that will go where God's tells you to go. And a love for Jesus that is a more powerful love that expels, or as Thomas Chalmers said, expulses all other affections. I'm referring to a ceremony preached called, uh, I think, the expulsive power of a new affection. That's what's going on in my life as I prep and pray. That's what's going on now as we, as we, as we preach, as, as the Word of God is preached, what's going on in, in your minds, your consciences, your wills, your loves. Now, how do we ensure God is setting the agenda in all of that? How do we ensure when we embrace exposition and application and communication and transformation that it's not us taking God's word and going off and doing these other bits? How do we ensure that it's God setting the agenda? We preach through the Bible books and let God speak the truth. Let God, him, speak the truth that is to be applied and to change people. God knows what we need far more than we know what we need or others need. Now that's the critique. Is it fair? Is it right? Well, it's certainly right that we humbly listen to it. And my personal view is that there is some validity in the critique. So we need to listen and prayerfully think through what is being said, what is being critiqued. Why do we need to do that? Because at a critical time for the renewal of the church, the movement that has recovered confidence in expository Bible teaching is going in one direction and much of the evangelical church is going in another. How do you win hearts and minds? You listen and respond, and the way you do so is, is what I'm saying in the Bible, is what they are saying in the Bible, or is it not? So we need to listen and prayerfully think through what is being said in the critique, but never, ever, ever, ever at the expense of the careful handling and exposition of God's Word. That's the challenge. And always remembering this, that rightly handling the word of truth will never be seen as the main thing. There will be all manner of other pretenders to that title, all manner of silver bullets offered to the church. Most of them don't go with suffering. But God says the main thing 
is the ministry of the word. So let's continue to focus on that as a church, to listen to critique humbly, and to do it as well as we can, that we can stand before God with no shame. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that as we commit and engage as a church in the ministry of the Word, that we would do it faithfully and well, and that there would be a renewal of the church in this country and in the United Kingdom committed to that ministry. Thank you, Lord, for the commitment to it here in Chalmers. Thank you for the commitment to it in our training. Thank you for the commitment to it in organizations like Prop Trust and Cornhill and all the good that they bring. But help us to listen and reflect on what people say and respond accordingly. And may there be, through the ministry of the Word, a right renewal in the church across this land. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake.